0: Recovery Elevator episode 129.
1: I would just plan my whole schedule and my work schedule and my, my time with my kids just around drinking. And it just became exhausting.
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, my last drink was 1,053 days ago. On today's podcast, we've got a great interview with a gentleman named Randy. He's 39 years old. He's got four kids and an awesome standard poodle puppy named Duke. And I want to give a special shout out and thank you to Randy. He has stepped up a couple weeks ago, as of a couple weeks ago, and he's now doing show notes for the podcast. Once again, thank you to Kathy, who did the show notes for six months. Randy has stepped up into this service position. And he does a great job of the notes. If you go to the recoveryelevator.com website and look at the podcast episodes, there are notes. There's a summary of the entire episode there, all the links and resources mentioned. That takes time to do. So thank you very much, Randy, for doing that. In fact, I want to thank the entire Recovery Elevator team. There's a lot of gears moving in this process to put a podcast episode out. Thank you, Ty. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Randy. And most importantly, thank you to the listeners who are listening to this podcast. Gosh, darn it. I'm just full of gratitude right now. I hear that's a good thing. Wrote my gratitude journal earlier this morning. For some reason, I am full of gratitude right now in this very moment. And I'll freaking take it. The retreat coming up this August 24th to 27th in beautiful Bozeman, Montana is full. If you'd like to attend this retreat, I know it's in like two weeks from the release date of this podcast episode. You can email me at paul at recoveryelevator.com. There's a short wait list to get on the retreat. Again, this is not a get sober retreat. You need to have at least a week or two weeks of sobriety to attend this retreat, but there is a chance we're going to have one or two more cancellations and be able to fit a couple people in. So we'd love to have you at the retreat again, August 24th to the 27th. It's been full for about a month now. I just have forgotten to mention it on the podcast. So before we get to our topic for today, let's hear from the wonderful Community Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code Elevator for your first month free. Again, use the promo code Elevator when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started. I had somebody email me a video from www.thestopdrinkingexpert.com There's no the. It's just www.stopdrinkingexpert.com. Again, there's a link to this video in the show notes for this podcast episode. It's titled, Alcohol Will Kill You. of shark attacks will kill you also. Please don't Google that. I think I'm wrong on that one. Well, the title holds some validity. Alcohol, it's a matter of life and death for a lot of people. Number one, not so much the death component where you're going to overdose or drink yourself to a fiery grave. It's more of the issue of you're not living. When I was drinking, I wasn't living life. So for me, it was a matter of life and death. Death from the alcohol was going to come, most likely from suicide. I couldn't take it any longer, but most importantly, I wasn't living. Okay, back to this video. This video takes place in the UK, and it talks about how alcohol is destroying the United Kingdom. There's a group that sets up liver testing stations in random spots throughout the UK, and their findings are astounding, according to them. Basically, they say liver disease is the fastest-growing disease in the UK. Are you the next victim? Cue music and crazy graphics and titles. But it does raise a good point. It mentions if we can put smoking kills on packages of cigarettes, then why don't we put those labels on bottles of alcohol? And in some countries, the data shows that the instant they put very disgusting photos of lungs and hearts and people who are dying of cigarette smoking, That the rates of smoking declined instantly. Same thing in the United States. We have not the gruesome photos, but we have the warnings on the packaged cigarettes. When that was passed, the rates of smoking dropped. So they raise a good point. Why isn't that stuff on the alcohol labels? If alcohol kills 3 million people worldwide, nicotine and tobacco kill 5 million people worldwide. Yep, not quite apples to apples, but alcohol is extremely freaking deadly. There probably should be a label on the bottle. Just food for thought. In this video, it mentions that hospital admissions for liver disease in the UK have doubled over the past 10 years. And entries into the hospital for this disease are getting younger and younger. Once, the people admitted were in their 60s. Now, they're in their 30s and 40s. The presence of liver disease of people in their 20s and 30s is rife, according to a physician in the UK. They're seeing a lot of people getting to the point where a liver transplant is their only option. Now, this documentary takes place in the U.K., but from what I have found doing the podcast over 130 episodes, is it's everywhere. It's not so much just the U.K., so if you're listening in the U.S. of A. and saying, yeah, oh, it's in the U.K., I'm good, I got this, three dangerous words, eh, not so fast. It's pretty much contemporaneous all over the globe. The video defines cirrhosis. What is cirrhosis of the liver? We've all heard of that. Cirrhosis refers to a stage of scarring the liver where it can become terminal. End-stage liver disease? Well, 50% of people will be dead within two years if you have end-stage liver disease. So this group is offering free liver tests in highly populated foot traffic areas in UK. And they expect about 5% of people will come back with elevated liver values. But they found 50% of the people that they tested came back with elevated liver values that were warnings and indicative of future liver disease. And the response of the people who received the bad news on their elevated liver values was, huh, that's funny. I just drink as much as all my friends. This video also talks about how the price of liquor and alcohol in the UK has become significantly cheaper over the last 40 to 50 years. Doctors say that alcohol costs half of what it did in the 70s. They interview big alcohol in the UK, and guess what they say? Well, the cheap prices, they don't attribute to people drinking more. Eh, well, I think it does. But if price wasn't an issue, then why discount it? Another strange phenomenon, in the UK it's called pre-loading, and not pre-gaming? Interesting. To summarize, this video was informational. I learned some cool facts for the podcast. And I wanted to share those facts with you guys. But I think instead of StopDrinkingExpert.com, this should be called StopDrinkingForAWeekExpert.com because these harrowing facts of liver disease and death rates and this and that, they're going to get people to quit drinking for a week. Fear does not harness long-term sustainable sobriety. I've interviewed people on the show who've been given death sentences. If they drink again and they get sober for a week, a month, and then they return to the bottle. That's the dangerous thing about alcohol is that for sustainable, long-term recovery, facts of death, and even when it's our own health, that doesn't necessarily lead us into long-term recovery. So again, alcohol, it's an issue of life and death, but I want you to focus more on the death component as you're just not living when you're drinking alcohol. And that's what I found myself. I was drinking alcohol and not living. I was breathing air, eating food, drinking water and alcohol, but I wasn't living. Okay. Enough babbling out of this guy. Let's hear from Randy. Randy, how are you? Doing great, Paul. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. And ladies and gentlemen, Randy is actually part of the team. I'd like to introduce him. He is doing the show notes for the podcast. So all of the text you see when you download the podcast on iTunes, or if you go to the recoveryelevator.com website, You see the show notes well somebody does that and that's Randy and he does a fantastic job so Randy I'm excited to have you on the podcast and hear your story yeah what's going on today
1: I was just having a great day so far you know running kids around and going to orthodontist appointments so you know never a dull moment in the Ramsey household that's for sure
0: (laughs) there you go well let's get right into this Ramsey how long have you been sober
1: my sobriety date is December 30th 2016 so six and a half months
0: December thirtieth, two thousand sixteen. Did you uh, decide to uh, go ahead and skip New Year's?
1: Well, I know it was really funny how that was a coincidentally happening, but I was definitely going to quit on the first. But then I started at work. My schedule's kind of sporadic, so I was starting this like seven day stretch where I had a really tough schedule, and I'm just like, you know what? Today's going to be the day. I'm going to walk into twenty seventeen without even a trace of being being drunk
0: nice job there really is no perfect time to get sober in fact today is the best day the best opportunity the best chance you have to get sober so good on you for doing that and before we get any further let's get a little bit more background about yourself randy maybe where you're from what you do for living do you have a family and what do you like to do for fun
1: okay i'm 39 years old i have four kids they're age 12 10 4 and 2 I'm a restaurant manager, and I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm currently trying to relocate our family to the Denver area. For fun, I enjoy hiking, walking with my puppy dog, and spending time with my family. And I think one of the big things now, after having six months of sobriety, is now when I tell people what I like to do for fun, I'm actually doing those things. I used to always, when people would ask me, "Oh, what do you do for fun?" I would tell them those things, but I would actually be just drinking in all of my free time. So <laughs> hmm. now it's really nice that when people ask me, "Hey, what do you do for fun?" I'm I'm actually doing those things.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Walking the walk, and maybe sometimes you're even you like mid fun activity. You're you're telling people what you like to be doing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And let's back it up a little bit, Randy. Was there a bottom you had around December 30th, 2016? Or was that, a, you know, what, what led you to decide to quit drinking?
1: So I'd kind of progressed with drinking to this point that it wasn't fun anymore. I used to always have parties and be around people and go out with friends after work. And 90, I had this big paralyzing fear of getting a DUI. So all of my drinking would just be at home. Well, my wife doesn't drink, so you know, I was just basically just drinking by myself. And we had we would have parties or dinner parties that have people come over, and the last one we had, no one was drinking. Like literally no one was drinking. I was the only person. And everyone was having a good time. Everyone was socializing. We were listening to music, playing cards, playing pool, having a good time, and I was the only person drinking. And then everyone left and I was up by myself and I was still the only person drinking. And I woke up the next day, I was just really hungover. I felt like crap. And i just like, what am I doing? Like, I, maybe I have a problem. And that's when I looked up a podcast for the first time and started listening and, and moved on from there.
0: So at this party, nobody was drinking. It seems a little strange for me. Any any reason why?
1: <laughs> it was really strange to me because I'd known these people, and, and most of the people were, you know, they weren't alcoholic drinkers, but they would, you know, drink two or three cocktails. You know, they were normal drinkers. Sure. And and I just looked around, I'm like, why are you not drinking? And one person's like, well, I got to work in the morning. I asked the next person, why are you not drinking? I, I just don't want to. I You know, sometimes I get a headache, and I don't feel great the next day. And I just kind of went around the room, and I'm just like, There this really exists. There's really people out there and they're even friends of mine that that aren't drinking, but that didn't stop me. I mean, I still had, you know, 10 or 12 beers and, you know, and and no way was I, you know, like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be drinking. I'm like, oh, okay. well, I guess I'm not sharing any of my beer with you guys then.
0: (laughs) So was it at this party that you first started to realize or was it something before that? Did you have an idea for a while that you perhaps were drinking not in normal fashion?
1: So I quit smoking in 2010. And every time, every attempt I would have to quit smoking would be foiled by drinking. I would drink and have three or four drinks. And then I would just break down and be like, I'm going to buy cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And then I'd wake up the next day, be mad at myself and just kind of repeat this cycle of really hard to quit smoking. And then I'd go three or four days. I'd go back to work and I wouldn't smoke or drink. And then it would be my days off or I'd have two days off in a row and I'd have a few drinks and just go buy cigarettes again. And so then I just said, look, I got to quit drinking if I'm going to quit smoking. And I did that. And then I went on this this health kick where I was losing weight and I wasn't drinking, I wasn't smoking, and I was just really tense and just really tight all the time and just not a lot of fun to be around. And it, it kind of drove people around me a little crazy. And they're like, you need to lighten up a little bit. And I was like, Okay, I, you know, maybe I took it to the extreme. You can't go from, you know, smoking a pack of cigarettes and drinking all this beer all the time to just the other end of the spectrum without any kind of, you know, separation from that. So My wife, we went on a camping trip. And this was about two years I didn't drink, over two years. And she's like, well, what if we just got some drinks for for camping? And we just tried that. You know, you haven't drank for two years. You're probably okay. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. So, you know, I went and drank. I didn't smoke while I was on this camping trip. And I was, like, elated. I'm like, man, I'm cured. Like, I can drink now. (laughs)
2: Like,
1: I could go to a bar. I don't have to go outside and smoke. I can go to a sports arena and drink beer. And I don't have to, you know, miss any of the game to go outside. I was just like, so I just spent five or six years after that, just with this, like, yes, like, great, like, okay, cool, I can drink now. And then I just, over that time, this, the drinking just got really kind of out of control where anytime I drank, I definitely got drunk, but it was just so exhausting because I'd have to put all these plans in place where, you know, I can't work early in the morning. I, you know, the kids have to be up and gone at a certain time where I don't have to get them up in the morning so I could stay up late and drink. And I would just plan my whole schedule and my work schedule and my, my time with my kids just around drinking and it just became exhausting.
0: Does sound exhausting, Randy. And and how often were you successfully able to pull off these rules?
1: So the eight o'clock thing was my big threshold. If we were having a party, something was going on, I wouldn't drink until eight o'clock. And that was mostly because if I started drinking earlier, I would just get sloppier by the end of the night. And I really didn't want to see my kids to see me drunk. Sure. And I, I think that's why when I quit drinking, people had a really tough time understanding I was an alcoholic because no one even saw me drink, usually even at parties, because it'd be eight o'clock and I'd be walking around with, you know, water or something. and I'd wait until that time to start drinking. But really, the last six months I was drinking, I uh, started, we we had some whiskey in the house. So I wasn't reaching this point that I wanted to with my buzz. So I'd start going to the, the pantry and, you know, taking some shots. You know, either people were looking or people were over we were doing shots and having a party. Sometimes that would happen. But most of the time I would just do that to try to get myself to where I wanted to be. That's when it really I was like, OK, you know, you never used to drink whiskey before, except in college. That was kind of the one rule we made when I got married was, you know, Jenny's family and my wife, they didn't drink like at all. So she's like, whiskey, no, beer mm-hmm. is OK. So I was like, OK, so then <laughs> so we've been married 13 years and that's why I was like, OK, she said beer is OK, like, let's go after it. So then I started drinking the whiskey again because the beer was making me fat and bloated. So I thought, oh, I could drink whiskey and Coke Zero and I'll be skinny. <laughs> and uh,
0: Sounds like a foolproof plan.
1: Yeah. And so then that didn't work. And then I was, what are you doing? You got four kids. You have this great life. You know, what What are you hoping to accomplish? And I just constantly pictured myself as this older person, retired. You know, my kids are gone. And I, and I just pictured myself just drinking by myself alone in retirement, I'm just like, what kind of life is that? That That's not something to work toward. You know, you need to get some goals. You need to be healthier. You need to be around your kids more. And, uh, so yeah, rest is history.
0: Yeah. That definitely doesn't sound like a fun, exciting retirement, just drinking alone at home with the kids gone. And you, know, congratulations for seeing the writing on the wall. And you know, would, would you classify yourself as maybe like a high bottom you know, drunk Is isn't, it sounds like you still got a lot in your life, Randy.
1: Yes, yes, that is one thing that I really didn't think I was an alcoholic, and I, no one around me even believed me. Even when I started going to AA, started you know getting in the recovery uh, community, my, even my dad, who was an AA for 30 years and hasn't drank since I was a kid, was just like, I had no idea you had a problem. Wow. And uh, because I, I hit it so well, and because none of these things happened, I mean, my dad did get a DUI. My dad did have some issues with with drinking that was affecting, you know, his his marriage. And, you know, but for me, I, I was still going to work every day. I might have been hung over. I felt like crap, <laughs> but I made it there and I worked my, you know, 10, 12 hour day. And the older I got to is just so hard to get out of from under these hangovers. I used to just bounce right back up and be fine. But, you know, the older I'm getting, I'm just like I would wake up and be like, what am I doing? Today's my day off. I just worked 10 days in a row so I could enjoy a day off. And now I'm just going to be miserable laying around on the couch all day and not want to go do anything. So, yeah, when I like when I told my parents, and I told my wife and she was like, what do you mean you're going to AA? Like, I don't understand. Like, you know, none of these things have happened to you. I just I think that people that aren't involved in recovery or or aren't alcoholics, they just don't understand what we go through. And they don't they don't associate successful, high functioning alcoholics with, you know, someone that they know and, you know, are in the community with. They just everyone has this picture of, you know, the bum under the bridge, which I did, too. I was like, well, I can't be one of those people.
0: Now, did anybody ever tell you that, yeah, hey, Randy, I think you're you're drinking too much, or was it mostly
1: responses like your dad's? It was like, wow, we had no idea. No, no one told me I was drinking too much because even even if I went out with people after work and had a few beers, or eating, and they would drink five or six beers, and they would do a shot, or you know, they would get a little wild. You know, I'd I'd have my two or three beers and just be because I knew I had to drive home. Yeah. So, and I I was always responsible that way, and. Then, then it would be game on when I got home it was always let's get from this party or the social engagement where I'd have one or two drinks and be a quote-unquote social drinker so I could get home and really drink the way I wanted to I uh, always had a cooler packed full of beer anywhere I went because you know the 20-minute ride to my parents house you got to have two or three beers on the way there right definitely yeah so you know most people don't do that and <laughs> I've kind of learned what normal normal drinkers are like now that'm in sobriety you know we just went to this party last weekend and it was a going away party and it was a huge celebration i don't think i saw anybody there drink more than two or three drinks i just showed up had my sparkling water ready to go and not a single person asked me why aren't you drinking
2: Hmm. not
1: one person and that's what's been the the most shock to me i'm I'm always prepared for like all these conversations of people approaching me about you know people just don't care if you don't drink like i and I, i never really thought about that before It's almost
0: like a total letdown when you say, yeah, I'm not drinking. (laughs) They're like, okay, cool. And you're like, wait, that's it? Come on, come on. I've got all these lines prepared to say, you got to give me more than that. But at the end of the day, people don't care. They really don't care. And is that, that's what you've seen as well?
1: Yes. Yes. And, uh, you know, people aren't even asking me about recovery or how long it's been since you drank they don't, they don't go into it. Like I've got every, you know, I've got my note cards written out in my pocket ready to whip <laughs> them out. Yeah. And, uh, and just people just don't, don't care. You know, we went to, uh, my dad's 60th birthday was a month ago and I mean, there's probably 50 something people there and everyone's having a good time. And, and not one person just talked to me about drinking, asked me why I wasn't drinking. And it just amazed me. I thought I, I was ready to have all these conversations because these are like neighbors and childhood friends that I'd grown up with. I was ready to like, Get into it with all of them, and, and not one person asked. So, now yeah, it's with your kind of dad, amazing.
0: who's been sober for 30 years, or yeah. for as long as you remember, was yeah. this a resource for you getting into recovery or getting sober? Did you have to do you ask him questions, or it sounded like you just told him, "Hey, Dad, I've been sober for a bit," or you're like, "I'm, I'm you know, I'm doing the program." How's your relationship with your dad, and how has that gone?
1: I did. I talked to him, and it's uh, he's checked in, in on me a couple times, but he's very private about his recovery and about his sobriety. And he's felt like it's really personal. So if people asked him about it, I think he would just say, I don't drink. He wouldn't go into it if they probed him a little bit more. So I think I, I don't really know. We haven't really had, I mean, we talked about my, my drinking and my alcoholism and, you know, he offered a few things that he'd remembered, you know, from being in recovery, but he hasn't been to AA meetings in quite a while. Yeah. I think he went, he, I think he went for eight or nine years straight and then he just, he was just stopped. Sure so I talked to him about that because that was kind of the one of the things with with aA like you know, I enjoy going. I go to at least one meeting a week, but you know you see the people in the rooms that are going here for 20 years and things like that. I'm just like, man, is there not a point where you can kind of get on with your recovery and, and, and maybe check in every once in a while but not be going every single week for 20 years and and my, that's where my dad is, and I think eventually I could get there and, you know I appreciate what aA has to offer, but I also think that it might be more of a generational a thing and a social thing for certain people.
0: You have know, I've seen it different for everybody and I, I really like what you said, the generational thing and the social thing for people because I, I witnessed that, that as well and there's so many different avenues to get sober and myself, you know, I go to about one to two a month and I've been all sober for almost three years and then I know people have been sober for 30 years and they go every single day for, it's different for everybody, but let's talk about AA for a second and is that sure. the main vein of how you got sober?
1: So my first initial, when I started listening to podcasts and listening to Recovery Elevator, I, I was like just binge listening and really resonated. And I hit like this streak of episodes where AA wasn't mentioned. And I was like, oh, great, man. I'm going to be able to get sober and not go to AA. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> okay. and, Dude, I didn't
0: want to go anyways.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And so then I was like, okay. And then I got into a string where like five people in a row were like, Hey, I started going to AA, started getting traction with my sobriety, started making progress. Mm-hmm. Things started to click with me. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm this far into it. I've been doing what people in the in the, in the podcast have been saying, some things have been working for them. I'm like, let me give this a shot. Mm-hmm. So I went went to a meeting and it was definitely not the right meeting, the first one. I just looked around. I didn't identify with the people there, but I was just like, you know what? I got to give it a chance. You know, Everything's not going to be there initially. And so I went to four or five different meetings around town and I found one that I really liked. And the people there were, you know, they all came from work and they were all, you know, seemingly had their act together. And I was like, okay, and this could be, you know, a group that I could get into. And that's how I I met my sponsor. You know, he, he was a musician and all of these things. And, you know, he was not a real big fan of, you know, religion. I was like, okay, cool. So I had his number and I actually text him like, Hey, we'd be my sponsor <laughs> because, uh, it's just so hard for guys to just, Hey, you're a complete stranger. I'm having something I'm really struggling with. You want to help me with this? That's just not how, how guys are wired to interact with one another. But, uh, so yeah, he was like, yeah, man, I'll be your sponsor. And so, you know, we've been friends and, you know, I really value his friendship and his perspective on things. And, uh, you know, he's been sober over four years. Now, is he so, walked you through the steps. Yes. Yes. We're working through the steps. I got through the hard ones. So right now I'm on number eight, I believe. But yeah, we got through uh, four, five and six, which are the ones that, you know, the the dreaded steps.
0: Yeah. Those are the tough ones. And what did you learn doing steps four, five and six?
1: Well, I realized that I'm, I'm actually a pretty good person. You know, when we sat down, I felt like I had all these like demons that were awful. And, uh, you know, I really realized it's like, you know, my life is pretty good. I try to be nice to people. I try to do the right thing. Uh, you know, some definitely everyone's got a few things in their past that they're not proud of. But, you know, I got through it and I actually felt good. I felt a sense of relief, you know, just telling somebody of, hey, these these are some of the things I've done. But, you know, the, the thing is with, with AA and doing the steps is it works. You know, just when you listen to the different things in recovery and when people are sharing with you, if you do them, it works. And that was what was really hard for me was. I just thought the absence of alcohol and being a dry drunk, like, that was it. Just stop drinking. Like, what's, what's hard about it? What's confusing? Well, mm-hmm. that, that's only one aspect. And that is one thing I like about AA is that focuses on, you know, the three different aspects that are there. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, there is more to it. You have to learn how to deal with people. You have to learn how to, you know, th- there's more to it than just, than just quitting drinking.
0: Absolutely. And let's let's back it up a little bit, you know, to right around December 30th, December 31st, the 1st, the 2nd, that first week. What was it like when you first quit drinking?
1: I wasn't sleeping great. uh, That's for sure. So now that I've been sober, I I mean, sleep is amazing. Uh, If that's one thing I can I can let everybody know that they're struggling or they're getting started. I used to think that I slept three or four nights a week because I had a busy life and I was stressed about work. And, you know, I got to get up early tomorrow and that's why I would only sleep. But but now I mean, I'll sleep seven or eight hours straight and like be asleep in the same position I fell asleep in. It's just (laughs) like, wow, like that hasn't happened to me since I don't know, college.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I used to think, too, it's like, oh, man, I'm off tomorrow. I'm going to drink. And if I drink extra, I'm going to just be passed out and just sleep so great. I guess I was naive and didn't realize, you know, how addictive that alcohol was. And my body was actually going through withdrawals that's why I woke up at three o'clock in the morning and couldn't fall back asleep. so then the fir- the second day actually my second day without drinking I woke up at like six in the morning it was Sunday morning I was down in the basement uh, binge listening to some podcasts and my wife walks down the stairs she's like what are you doing It's six o'clock in the morning on a Sunday <laughs> I'm like I don't know I'm just got on the treadmill I'm just working out I'm listening to podcasts. podcast like I-, I don't know what to do like like I'm sober like I'm not hungover I feel good I have energy Like I don't know what to tell you. This is what sober people do, right? Yeah. (laughs) She's like, okay. Like, like she was just like, okay, well we'll see where this goes, you know, because she didn't really get it, uh, at first either. So, but yeah. And now, now the things are kind of calmed down and, but the first few days uh, they were definitely tough and I wasn't, it wasn't so much the, the craving of the alcohol, like my willpower was strong enough to get past that. But it's just, it's just like, well, what do you do now? Like, okay, I listen to some podcasts. Like, what do you do when you're not at a meeting or working on recovery? And, and it's finding those activities and things you enjoy to do that take the place of that. You know, we worked on puzzles with my kids. I hadn't done a puzzle with my kid in, in years. Um, you know, and now I wake up and it's like, okay, well, let's go do something. Let's go on a hike. Let's go, you know, to Zip City, which is like this zip line trampoline place. I never would have taken my kids there and spent two hours there when I was drinking because that's valuable drinking time. So yeah, it's just, you know, that, that first few days I definitely remember being, it was very, very hazy and it's just kind of like, well, what do I do? And I just remember having that sense of confusion. And I, I actually joined the recovery elevator Facebook group, like within the first two weeks, I think of, of sobriety. Cool. And I just remember listening to the podcast and hear people talking about it. I'm like, well, I don't even have Facebook. Like, how does that even work?
0: Oh, that's right. So, you had to get your own Facebook account for this. So you yeah. really got outside of your comfort zone.
1: Yeah, I did. And so Uh, You know, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to sign up for Facebook and then my wife's just making fun of me and she's like, you got to put pictures (laughs) on there. I'm like, I'm like, they don't need pictures. She was like, trust me, you got to put pictures on there. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So I'm trying to like figure out how to do all these things. And I get in the group and, and I realized that most of the people in the group were like me, like everyone here is going to work. You know, they have families, they're busy. They're just trying to better themselves. And kind of the further along I get in sobriety, the more I realize that, you know, when, when you quit drinking You're doing it for a reason and whatever that reason is it could be something long term or short term But you know the long term goal for me is happiness and I haven't had a day of sobriety that I regretted not drinking the day before I mean even going to these parties. I'm not like I had a lesser fun time because I wasn't drunk I I actually I have a good time. It's engaging you show up for two or three hours You socialize with people and you leave you don't have to be there for seven hours and be wasted and that was a big takeaway for me I'm like, oh, this is how normal people are (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Randy, I'm going to touch up upon something you just said is, is there's never been a party that you didn't regret not drinking the night before and comment a little bit more about that. Cause that's, that's a pretty big point.
1: So, yeah, I mean, just now when I wake up and I, and I've gone and we haven't been to a ton of parties. I don't want to make it sound like a, you know, we're like socialites. I got four kids and, and work a crazy sure. hours, but we got invited to a lot. And and now that my daughters are older and they can help help with babysitting, we're able to do things more with friends. And I guess I'm what I'm realizing now is that as that party isn't show up and and everyone's drinking and everyone's doing shots and, you know, all of these things, you know, as I get a little bit older, you know, people when they go to these events and they go to these parties, they're having one or two and they're there to visit and be social for a few hours and, you know, kind of get away from whatever they're doing. And then they go home. It doesn't have to be this big. We're up until two o'clock in the morning and, you know, last man standing. And that's just how drinking was for me and for for my entire adult life. So th- that, that's what I think is like the difference. And then then now when I leave those events, I know that I didn't go and, you know, drink my cooler on the way home and then come home and have more and then stay up late and drink. And I wake up the next day and I feel great because I didn't drink anything the day before.
0: You know, Randy, walk us through a typical day in your recovery today. What does your recovery portfolio look like?
1: Okay, so today is I'm just I'm just there a lot more for my kids. Uh, that was kind of one of the deals that I made with my wife was I'm going to get up early, even if I had to work late the night before, and I'm going to get the kids to daycare in the morning, which never happened when I was drinking mm-hmm. because I'd be too hungover. You know, I, I like to check in with the online group like to check in with my sponsor, you know, he and I will have lunch or go to a meeting or do something once a week, but he actually was getting on me. He's like, look, you don't have to be having something sobriety threatening to contact me. Like you can just say, Hey, what's up? How you doing? I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like I felt like he was this resource, like, you know, do not use you know, break glass in case of emergency, call your sponsor. Like, no, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you can just, you can just text him and be like, Hey, what's going on or, or whatever. It doesn't have to be, you know, sobriety threatening. Sure. But, yeah, and then on that, too, I've just been been trying to get healthier and eat a little bit better. You know, I realized, too, that my sugar addiction was out of control. And I know it's one thing at a time, but as soon as I hit six months, I really felt like I would gotten a good foothold on my sobriety. So, you know, we're trying to eat better. You know, having all the junk in the house is not good for anybody, my kids or me included. So we're trying to trying to eat a little bit better and, you know, exercise when I can. And now instead of exercise being something that I'm just like dreading, like I know I have to exercise, it's something I look forward to. I mean, all of these things are things I look forward to. Uh, Whereas before it was just like, what do I have to get done so I can drink? Okay, I got to go to work. I'll take care of my kids. Got to do grocery store. Okay, now I'm done and I'm home and I can drink and nobody bother me or mess with me because it's time for me to drink now. Like all that gone and all that tension is gone and all of that. We got to hurry up and go, go, go. Because I got to, you know, even on vacation, that's how I was. I was like, look, we're on vacation. Vacation means I'm drinking. So, you know, all the stuff you got planned during the day, all these sites you want to go see, like, we need to get that done early. <laughs> sure. And I guess I didn't realize it was just because I was so addicted to alcohol. I don't, I mean, the amount of uh, not na- nativity I had towards it, how powerful and addictive the drug was, you know, I'm kind of baffled by it now, now that I've been listening and, you know, I've done so much research on it.
0: And what a lot of people don't know is alcohol is extremely addictive. It's just one of the top four most addictive drugs in the world. And you know, you have heard me say on this podcast before that hey, this is a matter of of life and death. And you know, you Randy, you and I, we didn't really get close to dying due to our alcohol. But what you just said was not living. That you had to get everything done, like check mark, check this, check this, check this, and then. I could start drinking. It was just everything needed to get done so I could start drinking. And that just doesn't sound like a lot of life, like you're living much, and things are much different these days, right?
1: Yep, that's absolutely correct. And how does that feel? I mean, it just feels feels so much better. I mean, just waking up today is – I I don't have the anxiety. I used to always just wake up and I'd be like, what do I feel like? Okay, what's my hangover like? Okay, what do I got to do today? And I would just immediately try to assess, okay, I feel really bad. Okay, well, maybe if I have one aspirin, I'll be okay. Well, if I eat something, I take a shower, have some Pepto. I had this whole routine of, okay, if I do all of these things, then maybe I'll be okay to get to work today and get my act together. And by the time I got to be there, I'll be fine. And now it's just every day happens. And it's it's one day at a time, which I know is cliche, but it's my favorite cliche of them all. And, and I just approach which day. Okay, I wake up now and it's like, okay, what do I have to do today? cool. Bethany has an orthodontist appointment. Okay. I can handle that. Okay. What happens after that? We're going to knock out this podcast. That sounds like fun. And I'm not trying to progress through all of these things at this pace to try to hurry up and get done to something, you know, like I'm just living life and I'm experiencing things a lot more in the moment instead of just what's next, what's next. And, and that's been really life changing And, and just sleeping better. I don't wake up irritable anymore you know, one of my worst moments from drinking was Jenny had left and gone to run an errand or something. So my daughter woke up my four year old and woke me up and she wanted chocolate milk. And I just started screaming at her because I'd only been asleep for like three or four hours because I'd stayed up so late the night before. And I'm just like, what kind of person screams at their four year old kid who just wants something to drink? Like, that's not right. That's mm-hmm. not what normal people do. And man, I just that was one of like, man, it just made my heart hurt. Like, yeah. did I just do that? Like what? You know, and like, I thought it was funny because this morning the exact same thing happened. Like She woke up and came and was like, hey, Dad, what's up? And I just opened my eyes and I'm like, hey, how are you? Give me a hug.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so awesome. And you mentioned earlier you're a restaurant manager. I know that industry somewhat well. And alcohol is contemporaneous with restaurants and bars and things like that. Has it been tough staying in the same industry and staying sober?
1: I mean, it has its challenges. I don't really... Think about it as much when I'm at work because I never drank at work I think the only time is now it, it's, it's actually kind of helpful to be in recovery because the servers come in and I mean They're just out so late and parties so hard and they come in and just feel like crap and I just see it in their eyes I see it on their faces and I'm like I don't miss that that was me mm-hmm. come in and just try to get through your shift You know, and so in a way, I think it's kind of helpful You know, but there's a few people that, you know, that are regulars and I, I know that probably have, you know, some drinking issues, but they know I don't drink and I've kind of talked to them about it. And actually those are the people that talk to me more about my sobriety and my recovery than anyone. And these are just, you know, people I know from work. And I think that, that they just want to have a better understanding of what's out there in recovery, maybe for themselves, maybe they're just being polite. I don't know, but, um, they've asked me more about what's going on with me than I think, you know, even people that are closer to me.
0: Gotcha. And before we hit the rapid fire around Randy, I want to talk poodles for a second here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Great topic. Yeah. Randy and I both have beautiful golden standard poodles, not uh, not golden doodles or anything like that. The real deal, full 100% standard poodles. Tell us a little bit about Duke.
1: Duke has been amazing. There was a post in one of the groups that said they felt sorry for people that don't have dogs in recovery. And I'm like, you know what? I feel sorry for myself for not having a dog. So
2: other <laughs> yeah, person's uh,
1: right. Yeah, so we were researching all these breeds, and my wife, uh, you know, found like the smartest hypoallergenic breed. She's like, "What about a standard poodle?" I was like, "Hey, I know somebody that has one of those." I'm like, "That might work out for us." And yeah, he's been great. He's he's been just a joy to have around. The kids love him. He's just he's so sweet and loving. And you know, I can't wait till he gets to be bigger. But he doesn't realize how big he is now. And when he just jumps on you, it's just like okay, and he's there.
0: (laughs) What is he like? 50 pounds right
1: now yeah yeah he's just went he's like right up 50 and uh yeah so he loves going on walks and he's just so well behaved and his demeanor is so calm and we he's just been, been a wonderful pet so far so i'm excited to have i can't wait to see what he's like when he get, gets full-sized and you know we can really get some running done together and you know go on some serious hikes because you know you got to take it easy on him when they're so little sure so we're just doing little like mile or two mile walks around the neighborhood but when he When he gets full grown, I'm really looking forward to getting some serious hiking.
0: Awesome. I love it. And, Randy, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you get to answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, Randy, what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: Okay, so we went out with my little brother which he is 30 now, and this has been a few years ago, and he and his wife and a couple of friends, and we went out and had sushi for the first time, trying to expand my horizons, and we i never had uh, Irish car bombs before. So I decided to try to keep up with these youngsters and do all these shots and drink all these beers, and we were out late, and we stayed in a hotel room, and it was, I felt like death the next day. As sushi and car bombs do not mix well. <laughs> and It was probably the most hungover I've been, And then we had to wake up early and go to a fun fair at my daughter's school early in the morning. So, oh, my gosh, it was hot outside. And all the parents were just like, hi, how are you? Super chipper, you know, really happy. Let's go. Do you want to help me host this event and play these games? And I was just, oh, my gosh, I don't want to take my sunglasses off. I didn't want to be around anybody just like, what are you doing? Like, why you like, you're not even, you're not young anymore. You're not in college anymore. Why did you try to have shots and be that way? That's ridiculous. So yeah, sure. it was pretty, pretty rough.
0: <laughs> and next question. We've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking?
1: Well, I do remember I, I came home from work and I looked in the fridge and there was only eight beers in there and I freaked out because the night before apparently I had exceeded the limit I had set aside for myself so I was really angry, and I had to run to the liquor store after I would just gotten off work, and And I was just driving back. I'm like, most people probably don't look in their fridge and see eight beers and think, that's not enough. I better get more now before I start drinking. <laughs>
0: you're, you're right. Eight, eight, people, eight beers to most people would be more than enough, for the four yeah. beers too many. Yeah. I love it. And next question, Randy, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: Well, I, I definitely want to keep on moving forward and, uh, you know, go where sobriety takes me. I, I've definitely been working really hard. Meditation is one avenue I'd like to pursue. I, I know I def- that's something that requires attention and time. Uh, I feel like I have a really good start and good, good groundwork laid. But I kind of feel it's like the more and more you get into recovery, the more things you realize that weren't there before. And, you know, I think we're all trying to work together to improve our lives. And I just want to see where it goes. And so far the six months, I've seen so many vast improvements that, you know, I want to keep on building on that.
0: And what's your favorite resource in recovery?
1: So I'm not not the biggest reader, but I did. I heard so many people mention this naked mind. So I read it start to finish. And that was like every light bulb went off on every chapter as I was reading it. And I'm just like, okay, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. And it was it was very eye opening to me. And that was after reading that book, I I just I recommend it to anyone. It's a really good read. It's really well put.
0: Perfect. I totally agree. I think everybody who wants to get sober should should get a copy of that book. Mine is covered in highlights, sticky notes coming out. It's a great read. I loved it. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received, Randy?
1: So as far as far as the advice that I've received is I, I just think I just think try different things. If you go to AA and it's not for you, okay. If you want to do you know smart recovery, that's not for you. You know there's all of these things and avenues and resources out there. just try them out. So the more I've kind of looked at people that have sobriety, I, I just talk to them and find out you know it hasn't been necessarily one thing or one book or one thing. It's just all of these things you know repeating the same mantras and themes together where I'm just like, okay, well, if if I hear it from these three areas together, then okay, then that's probably one thing that I should tackle and get onto.
0: Sure. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or in early recovery?
1: If you're thinking about getting sober, then let's do it. I I have not regretted a day of sobriety. You know, When I first quit, I thought to myself, well, if I don't like what sobriety has to offer, I can always go back and drink. If my life doesn't improve in any way and I don't like feeling good, then I can enjoy hangovers. I can go back to having a bunch of anxiety. I can go back to sleeping like crap. I can just do it again. You know, I mentioned earlier that you know I had this tremendous fear of drinking alone by myself. If I don't if I don't make changes now, then I know that I'm going to regret it when I get older. So I, I just feel that all these hobbies and things that I'm interested in now, like this, is the time to be into them. I, I don't want to wait. I just want to do it now. I kind of feel like that's one good thing about getting sober is you know why wait? Let's just do it.
0: And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if, Randy.
1: You might be an alcoholic if you still pack a cooler to take to parties, except now you pack it full of LaCroix and other sparkling waters.
0: Boom, LaCroix, the the nectar of the gods and stuff is delicious. (laughs) It is. Randy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I look forward to meeting you in person at the retreat this August. It's going to be a great time. Thank you, Randy.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: I want to give a shout-out to Angela Paris up in the Pacific Northwest. Congratulations on two years of sobriety. I met Angela at Recovery Elevator Meetup in Seattle. I think she had six months or something like that at that time. It's been really cool to be part of your journey. Thank you for being part of my sobriety, Angela. Keep moving forward. I'm excited for what the future holds for you. If you've been listening to the last several episodes, you'll know that I quit smoking. In fact, I'm happy to announce that today is 35 I think 35 or 36 days without a cigarette. I started smoking in January. So I didn't really go that long developing those habits, but my body was physically dependent on nicotine. I apparently have to learn lessons the hard way twice because last year I quit chewing tobacco. And I probably should have listened to those podcast episodes because that was a four-letter word starting with H. I I can't remember what it is. Um, uh, Oh, hell. Yeah, that was hell and quitting smoking was also hell but I remember when I was quitting smoking and when I first started first one day first two days first three days I would tell myself I can do this I can do this first thing I would say in the morning I can do this and you know what of course that's great to tell yourself that I can do this if you're listening to this podcast and you're wanting to quit drinking tell yourself I can do this that's great you want to give yourself positive affirmations However, I need to switch my thinking, and I have done this from I can do this to I am doing this. I can do this was making me focus on the destination. I kept telling myself, oh, only when I get 30 days will I be out of the woods. Oh, I need to get three, four, five months under my belt before I can be happy. No, I am doing this. I am doing my journey, and it doesn't matter where you are in your journey with quitting a drinking. It doesn't matter if you're drinking right now, listening to the podcast, because you are doing this. You are listening right now. And don't focus so much on the destination, but focus on the journey. Acceptance is the answer. We have no affiliation with Alcoholics Anonymous, but I think it's page 417. Acceptance is the answer. We need to find a way to be happy and accept the current terms and situation we find ourselves in today. I am doing this recovery elevator, and so are you. Don't focus on 30 days of sobriety without alcohol or one year, six months, two years. It doesn't matter if you've got 20 minutes, two days, less than a week. You are doing this, and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Addiction is a bitch. It's a total, total bitch, but it gives us the opportunity on F ourselves. I'm sure I could have thought of a more eloquent way to state that. But if we are deep in the grips of addiction, we have a phenomenal opportunity in front of us. And that's to get ourselves right. Many people, they can't figure out how to get unstuck. For me, the answer was simple. I needed to quit drinking. And the answer was simple. About 35 days ago, I needed to quit nicotine again. Okay, recovery elevator. Don't forget, you are doing this. And Paul, you are doing this. Recovery Elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.